Hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Today on the Mushroom Hour podcast, we're beyond blessed to be joined by three members of Oakland's own Hyphy Labs, Ian Bollinger, Tomas Garrett, and Reggie, who has joined us on the podcast previously. Inspired by early life transformative experiences with psilocybin-containing mushrooms, Reggie has had a lifelong passion for mycology and now consults with the largest mushroom cultivators in the world. He is also a member of the advisory board for Decriminalized Nature and an avid activist for police reform and an ally for the movement for black lives. Ian Bollinger is a dedicated researcher, scientist, and host of the Understanding Entheogens podcast, advising for harm reduction through education by working with the entheogen decriminalization movement in the San Francisco Bay Area. Ian dedicates his time to churches, nonprofits, and public benefit corporations to bring scientific insights from the growing entheogen space to the public through his writings, podcast, and outreach. Tomas is the head of operations for Hyphy Labs. His background is in analytical chemistry that began with food and drug testing in Wisconsin. He moved to California in 2018 and began pesticide and solvent testing for the cannabis industry. Over the past few years, he has become intertwined like mycelium with the vibrant Oakland psychedelic community. Formed by citizen scientists like these, Hyphy Labs works to connect cultivators and consumers to knowledge, data, and education that supports their community through harm reduction. They are currently engaged with research around tryptamine content in entheogenic organisms, providing lab and analytical support for the psilocybin cup. I'm excited to learn more about their collective, their vision, and the upcoming Oakland Psychedelic Conference. Reggie, Ian, Tomas, thank you so much for joining us on the Mushroom Hour. pleasure pleasure no seriously the pleasure is all mine guys huge fans of your work like i said reggie's been on before and we got a teaser of what hyphy labs is all about we heard a lot about his story so i'm really happy to flesh it out with other members of the team and because we've heard reggie's story quick overview ian how did you get involved with hyphy labs i met reggie in 2019 at a decriminalized nature event at the source chiropractic Dr. Brett Jones was the gentleman that put on the event, and it was an opportunity where I got to meet a ton of different people from Kufi Kiri, Bob Otis, uh, Gary Kono, and of course, Reggie. Reggie and I met up. We talked a little bit of science for a few, probably like 10 minutes, and figured that was going to be, you know, just one of those conversations in passing. We ended up working together on a bunch of different projects, traveling to Jamaica to discuss the possibility of uh, cultivation of entheogenic mushrooms there for this, the country of Jamaica as a viable export. We spoke to the Ministry of Agriculture there, had some pretty transformative and amazing experiences. Still to this day, I think the best business meeting of my life was a Monday morning on Heroes Day on a beach drinking red stripes with um, uh, the mushroom queen of Jamaica. That was, I think, arguably one of the best business meetings of my life. And that's just been one of the amazing experiences I've had. Reggie and I have had highs and lows together. We've definitely yelled at each other once or twice and gotten heated about things, but we've always come back together to really push forward this conversation in meaningful ways. So, I mean, we did pro bono testing. I think it was late 2019, early 2020. And then we started out growing from there, grew it out. And really, I believe, honestly, um, did something useful for the community because we started conversations and we were able to back it up with something a little bit more significant than anecdotal data. Um, It's citizen science at its core. And that's what I'm here for. Absolutely. 
absolutely, citizen science. And you know what they say, that sometimes being business partners is kind of like being in a marriage. So I can get how it might get heated or tense at times. But Tomas, how did you meet these Myconauts and link up and get involved with Hyphy Labs? Well, man, I'm, I'm kind of like this mycelium. And right now it feels like Hyphy Labs is quite the hyphal knot. We're about to burst into the world like a mushroom, man. It's great. I actually met Reggie uh, same time Ian did at uh, Source Chiropractic. Ian and I, I worked uh, in the cannabis industry together. I was on the chemistry side of it. He was in the microbiology side of it. We were walking around the block getting some sandwiches for lunch one day, just talking about psychedelics and life. And he's like, man, there's this uh, event going on. We should check it out. You know, we know how to find things inside of plants and substances. And they're probably looking for someone to do that. We show up and sure enough, a couple months later, we're in Jamaica uh, drinking red stripes with the mushroom queen on a beach. And, and that was, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride ever since. Uh, just trying to grow closer to the mycelium, closer to the mushrooms, closer to this community. I actually have worked a little bit with Decrim Nature as well and, and just found myself in a lot of places where this community is growing. And I'm excited to, to now be stepping in on the business lane with Hyphae Labs as we're expanding and heading into this conference. I love it. And we're talking citizen science. We said citizen science, but you guys are proper scientists and you really have the science skills and the background. And that's what I think is so exciting is like people that are radical and willing to ask questions, but bringing this whole real science analysis toolkit it's really exciting and unique. Uh, and then Reggie, as a vision, as an organization, you know, what is the vision of Hyphy Labs? And how does this set aside something like decriminalization happening in Oakland? Because, yeah, we're talking about testing psilocybin-containing mushrooms in one instance. So then how does that fit into this piece of kind of the growing entheogen community? Um, yeah, thank you for that question. And I just want to give these two guys um, a huge, huge, huge shout out. I think that that's something that separates Hyphae Labs from, you know, anybody else that might be trying to do testing out there. It's like, yes, you can teach yourself this, but these guys have a heavy, heavy background in analytical chemistry and, and potency testing from the, from the gate. And so like we're, we're starting uh, from really good stock. In terms of Hyphae Labs, we started Hyphae Labs. Hyphae Labs actually started after the last time that you and I talked. You know, I, we have Oakland Hyphae, but as that Oakland Hyphae movement started to grow and mushroom, you know, it seemed fair to separate the kind of social aspect of the work that I do from the science aspect, just so that things don't, don't get intertwined. You know, even you saw we've been in coordinating this. We have quite a few people on the team now quite a few different lanes that we're working on. And so just to kind of keep things clean. Um, also, Ian, you know, me and Ian were working, trying to establish standards and protocols and on testing uh, for, I guess, about a year and a half, two years now. And so at first, it was just a hobby. And when we figured out how to do it, and when our things were peer reviewed, and when we had our, uh, our processes checked by scientists better than us, then we did the, uh, the, the psilocybin cup. And when we did the psilocybin cup, we got so much interest in testing. It just seemed like it made sense to start a proper business. Um, so Ian is my partner, a founding partner in Hyphae Labs. Tomas is number one in terms of any business that goes through Tomas. Clearly Tomas has a background in analytical chemistry as well. So 
he's great at talking to, to clients because he can bridge the gap. I'm not a scientist. I'm a cultivator uh, and a businessman. And so, I, you know, this, this mix that we have here is great. You ask uh, in terms of how does this tie into decriminalization or legalization? I mean, Hype Labs puts us in a very unique position that we are like one of the first entheogenic-based organizations. We're not selling entheogens. We're not buying entheogens, but we're clearly in the entheogen business. And so it puts us in the weird category of being one of the few businesses that's out there in the open operating under the protections of decriminalization in Oakland. So we have the blessing of our council people, shout out to Noel Gallo, Carol Fife, Rebecca Kaplan. They all know what we're doing. They support what we're doing. But, you know, most people are looking for protections as cultivators or as, you know, um, medicine providers or guides. We actually aren't buying or selling anything. We're just testing people's fruit. And so we really are very valuable to the movement because we can talk and we can be out there and we can talk and we can advocate because we're not buying and we're not selling. All we're doing is accepting samples and processing them for the greater community good. Some people would also say harm reduction. Yeah, and that's the one question that seems to come to my mind right away when I'm hearing about your guys' work is, man, how can they do this? It's such a gray area in terms of legality and you hear conflicting things out there. So I'm glad you guys have found a way to be in that gray area, but thrive there and be, yeah, I guess a bridge between that subculture. And Ian, why don't you talk about that a little bit? Because I know you do a podcast about entheogens. You're clearly deep in this space, kind of seeing the broad view of things. Do you see testing as kind of a missing pillar of bringing this all into the mainstream? I think there are important lessons to really learn from how cannabis has become a more mainstay in our culture. The transition from being completely prohibited to basically the cash crop of the 21st century for America. It has been a very interesting one. And in a way, it's, uh, it teaches a lot of lessons. One of the most important lessons I think it has taught, and I'm going to touch on a couple of these throughout this podcast if it's cool, um, but one of the lessons I think that it teaches is how things get started. So if we looked at cannabis, people had to have potency testing before they got to marker-assisted breeding, before they started asking questions about microbiological organisms that may be on there that might be hazardous or other biocontaminants or even furthermore heavy metals like those were steps beyond what had to happen first which was potency testing and so this was the obvious space as a person that again i was a microbiologist i tested for biocontaminants but i recognized that to even get to that point there had to be something else to drive it and so I recognized that Tomas and I had that conversation that he talked about um, walking to a local Berkeley place called Nordic House. Shout out Nordic House, best sandwiches in the Bay. <laughs> it just really, the conversation centered around this idea of if this is going to happen, this is the place where it has to get started. It's in potency testing. And then from there, that's one of the lessons of how things get started. I'll touch on later this idea around other lessons that we've learned about maybe things that we shouldn't do, but I'll get into that when I jump into one of the more interesting ideas I want to present. I love it. I love it. And uh, when you lay it out like that, it makes so much sense that this is, I mean, I don't like to draw that analogy between cannabis and psilocybin containing mushrooms. It's kind of the obvious one, but I think they're way different. And actually Reggie elucidated that really well in the last podcast we had. But I think at the base level of this, Tomas, maybe you can speak to what potency testing looks like 
because I, I'm not a scientist. I know a lot of people listening may not know exactly how this works. So when you're presented a fruit body or a sample, how are we getting potency testing out of this? Well, I, had, I do have to be careful of proprietary information, but I'll, I'll try to make it as uh, easily digestible as possible. Shout out to my boy. Hey, man, <laughs> we ain't out here writing NDAs for no reason. But the truth is, uh, what we're doing is specializing in chromatography. And I was thinking about it today, uh, hanging out with mycelium, and, and it reminded me of racetracks. Like, if you ever played with Hot Wheels, you know, sometimes the, the big old Hot Wheels wouldn't make it down the track as fast as the cooler looking smaller Hot Wheels. They just shoot off the track. And so what we're doing is we're taking the psilocybin containing mushrooms, putting them through our process. It's a, it's a homogenization process that allows us to extract out the main compounds. And then when we put it on our racetrack, our Hot Wheels track per se, psilocin is kind of like a, a fast moving Hot Wheel and psilocybin is like a slow moving one or vice versa. And, and that's more of the proprietary information. But effectively, we're able to separate out and distinguish how much of each of those compounds is present in the fruiting body. And so by doing this, we're able to provide analytical reports that give people a better scope of what's going on inside of these entheogenic substances. And besides those two substances, when it comes to potency, are there any other substances you guys are testing for? Uh, of course, that comes with the caveat that we're not giving away all the secrets here. Go in. I want you to talk about it. Go in. There, so right now, we have the ability to really look for and quantify for the three major compounds. So I had mentioned earlier that we look not just at psilocybin and psilocin, but tryptamines in entheogenic organisms. Tryptamines are a class of compounds that are based off of the amino acid tryptophan and actually are utilized by our body naturally to form things like serotonin and melatonin, two very important neurotransmitters for both sleep consciousness as well as reward. So very major neurotransmitters in our biochemistry. Psilocybin is 4-phosphoryloxy-dimethyltryptamine. Those last three words are usually the ones most people can catch <laughs> on to. It's the DMT aspect of it. Right. Um, just like DMT is a tryptamine and is like serotonin, psilocybin is very similar. The thing is, is psilocybin has that phosphate group on there. And that phosphate group actually, according to most of the research as it stands, is not, it's not a neuroactive compound. It's not psychotropic. The thing is, is it has to get metabolized. That phosphate group has to get removed to become psilocin for it to become psychotropic. So we call it a prodrug. So there's like these two classifications that we're talking about. We're talking about the phosphate tryptamines. Okay. And then what are called the hydroxyl tryptamines, like psilocin. We know of at least four phosphate versions of the compound that can be found in mushrooms. You might've heard of baocystin, norbaocystin, aruginacin. All of those are phosphate versions of the tryptamine. So I like to think of the tryptamine, it's kind of like a snowman. You got like a six-membered ring, and then you got like a little five-membered ring with a nitrogen. That nitrogen is like the carrot nose, okay? And then he's got an arm hanging up, and on that arm, he's doing different, like for lack of a better phrase, mudras, you know, hand signals. Yeah. Or alternatively, like it's like he's got like hang 10, he's got, um, you know, rock on. See, we, we call that something else where I'm from. Uh, well, that's fair. That's fair. Um, he's got thumbs up or he's got nothing. 
All of those are different variations of what I would call, I would just analogies that I would use to describe the different methyl groups. Trimethyltryptamine looks like rock on, you know, dimethyltryptamine kind of looks like hang 10. Monomethyltryptamine or just called uh, methyltryptamine, it looks like a thumbs up. And then just tryptamine has no actual anything besides hydrogens there. And all of those come off of the nitrogen arm. It looks kind of like a hand. So baocystin, norbaocystin, aeruginacin, and psilocybin. Those are the phosphate tryptamines. Then you have the hydroxyl tryptamines, which are like psilocin. So psilocybin gets converted to psilocin. Mm. Baocystin gets converted to norcilocin. Norbaocystin gets turned into a compound that really doesn't have a name. It's 4-hydroxytryptamine, I believe is what it is. And aeruginacin gets turned into a compound that, again, doesn't have a name. I think it's 4-hydroxytrimethyltryptamine. Regardless, those are two classifications of compounds that we are actively looking into being able to classify. We do have standards for aeruginacin, uh, psilocybin, psilocin, baocystin, norbaocystin, and norcilocin. We are actively looking to engage for the other two hydroxyltryptamines if available. But then there's a whole other class of compounds that are also tryptamines that are known to exist at least in mycelium and may be existent in the actual fruiting bodies themselves as well. And they are known as MAOIs, monoamine oxidase inhibitors. And those are compounds that are in the beta carboline class. Those are going to be like harmine, harmane, also beta carboline. And there's just this whole class of compounds that are very, very likely present because they are actively found uh, a little bit of stuff in there, but I don't want to dive too far into it. I could go into it for a bit, but there are plenty of other compounds that we need to be able to answer some questions around whether or not they're present. And I think that there's arguments to be said that they are if we're looking at them appropriately. Well, I appreciate that deep dive. And I feel like I'm going to need to listen to this again with like some chemistry charts, diagrams at hand so I can understand what's going on. But actually, but the main I'll thing- I'll have some at the cup. I'm actually going to be providing some uh, chem- some actual like charts of these things, hopefully available for people to visualize. Hyphy Labs is putting all the pieces together for us. But I appreciate you laying out how tryptamine is kind of this base template responsible for many of the different molecules you guys are examining. So do some of those other substances, you know, we know about psilocybin, psilocin, but in your experience, you know, maybe you haven't been able to research this yet, but maybe it's intuition or experience. But do you think those other substances like baocystin have an effect on the subjective experience of someone taking these compounds? I can speak to the fact that I know there are individuals that have taken isolated versions of these compounds. Um, and there is some conflicting evidence between what they experience and what's documented in literature. Um, as well as there's an open conversation around um, one of them. So baocystin, um, which gets converted into norcilocin, is not known to have, in, through anecdotal evidence of people that I've spoken to, any psychotropic effect. Um, it's not known to have that. However, there, I think GARTS has been documented saying that it did have an effect. That's what I mean by conflicting information. So yeah. there needs to be more data in that space. Aeruginacin is arguably a, a point of contention. Um, I have a friend, Kane Barlow in Australia, who we have an open dialogue around. It might be responsible for what's called woodlover's paralysis, but that's a deep conversation to dive into. And then Tomas, I saw you shaking your head. Do you think these compounds make a difference in the effects 
only because we're in this environment right now where people know that psilocybin and psilocin are being focused on and extracted. And that's kind of one model of this greater kind of entheogenic space. But do you think you kind of need all those compounds you guys are testing for? Do you think they're all important? Yeah, that's the short answer. Yes. Um, short answer is absolutely yes. But coming from the cannabis industry and also coming from uh, food testing and, and understanding and investigating any kind of matrix, what we realize is chemistry only gives us a little snapshot of what nature is providing, you know, and Ian has come up with this uh, really beautiful way to talk about the, the analogies within the cannabis industry. Basically, we're trying to avoid what happened there where people just focus on things like THC and chase after the highest potency and da, 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 da. And so that's one of the things that Ian was talking about getting into later. And I'm really excited for him to uh, get into that further because he's creating new language and he's paving the way like we have been throughout this space so that we can create our own table and really shape the way this industry moves forward. I guess without further ado, Ian, let's break out that analogy because that's the first thing people talk about is, again, that analogy between cannabis and mushrooms. And what's the analogy in your mind? Um, first, if you don't mind, I do want to give one straight caveat, and that is to the statement that while bioassisted and norcelosin might not have a psychotropic effect, that does not mean that they might not have an effect. Um, I think it's important to note that you have just as many um, 5-hydroxytryptamine receptors in your gut almost as you have in your brain. So Ooh. there is fact. So might not be. It might not be psychotropic, but it might be beneficial gastrointestinally. So I just wanted to throw that out there as well. Just a mind-blowing little tidbit. Okay, got it. Um, just again, I just love conversations. I love that we can have these conversations. And thank you, Tomas, for passing this over. I think this is one of the things that I think we bring to the table that really hopes to shift the paradigm of the conversation. Um, my really good friend, Aize Jama Everett, amazing author um, and very, very talented and insightful individual, um, showed me a, um, I believe the phrase is the lyrical dexterity of numerous rappers. And it was a, a horizontal scale from like 3,000 to like 8,000. And on it was different rappers and their use of word choice and how dynamic or how dexterous they were within that space. You know, Nas is near, you know, up at 7,000 or something like that, if I recall correctly. Like Deltron the Punky Homo Sapien at 6.5. And like somewhere in the middle, you have like Kid Cudi. And somewhere at the beginning, you have, I, I, I can't remember all of the whole list, but it, it, it's very expansive. And it's a very, very gorgeous graphic. Loved so much by someone that they actually took it and reproduced it, but they did one slight twist. They switched it from this horizontal list to a vertical one. And in doing so, the original author reached out and said, hey, can you pull that down? I'm not trying to get shot because who was at the beginning of that list is now at the bottom of that list. And that's a totally different conversation to have. Right. And so... The idea came to me, it's like the hierarchical model. When we looked at the cannabis industry and how we had, like Tomas said, the hierarchical top of the list, bottom of the list. If we think about the bottom of the list, nobody bred those the next year. Nobody sought those genetics. What level of biodiversity was lost because everybody was seeking high THC content? Mm. There is some kind of level of responsibility, I think, we have to the organism to really recognize the importance of its biodiversity. I mean, that's why we have golden teachers. That's why we have high 
co-Samui super strains. Like we have so many different breeds across the entire planet. Like there are Japanese uh, mushrooms that have psilocybin in them. So right now, I think that there's a great diversity that we need to protect. So instead of having this hierarchical model, I opted to shift things horizontally. And now once we're no longer in the realm of highest psilocybin has the highest potential or use, we're looking at now a field of what's available. So at the beginning of the list, not the bottom, but the beginning of the list, we have things that I would argue are perfect for microdosing. You will never macrodose your microdose. And then the middle, you have what I would argue be perfect for recreational. Like you want to go to electric forest, you want to enjoy the lights, and you don't want to be questioning your own existence looking to the pit of the abyss. You know, it's like there, there are spaces where you want to be able to enjoy the, the connectedness and the beauty of life in this way. And then you also have at the higher end of the list or the right-hand side of the list, you have something I would argue is beautiful for therapeutic or, or personal, like spiritual use. So it's like if you wanted to do the heroic dose a la uh, Terrence, instead of taking five grams, maybe you could take something that's one and a half grams. Instead of taking the 30 gram Kalindi dose, maybe you take something that's 10 grams. There, I think that there's access to all of these different parts that can feed into the growing community's desire for these things in different ways. I call it the high face spectrum. This idea that it's not just a hierarchical model, but a spectrum of possible uses that are available that no longer restricts pigeonholes or drives the, the consumer towards a single goal or the cultivator towards a single goal, but recognizes the versatility and availability of these compounds for different things. I think I need to start applying the high face spectrum to every list in my life. I love that switch instead of seeing things above and below to make that thing horizontal. And it's funny, I caught myself when you're talking about the wrappers thing. I already had a vertical list in my head. I'm like, okay, Nas at the top. That makes sense. Uh, no, no, no. This is horizontal thing. Wow. That's a huge shift in itself. And it gets to the heart of this idea of the importance of diversity as well when you're talking about these organisms which on this podcast is a theme with anyone I talk with, citizen scientist, forager, academic mycologist, mycognauts and psychedelics, everything, biodiversity and the diversity of fungi at the heart of this. So absolutely in love with that concept you just broke down for us. And then Reggie, how does all this lead into the Oakland Psychedelic Conference? I mean, we're talking about testing, we're talking about the spectrums of psilocybin containing mushrooms, where you fit into kind of the greater conversation, what you guys hope to do. So I guess maybe the inspiration and how this feeds into the Oakland Psychedelic Conference and let's hype it up. Yeah, I, I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about this. I'm really excited. Um, this ties into the Oakland Psychedelic Conference kind of in a very interesting way. So, you know, I think that the last time we talked was about the psilocybin cup. Yep. So we're running a fall psilocybin cup and um, we are going to announce the results on International Mushroom Day 920. It, and we thought that that would be appropriate. But when we did the psilocybin cup, it was in the midst of the lockdown. It was in um, on April the 20th, 420. And so nobody could really go anywhere. Nobody could really travel. So now things are a little bit different. And when we did the psilocybin cup, we had a component where we zoomed in a bunch of speakers from all over the country, um, all over the world, really, and had them talk about a range of topics that had to do with uh, mushrooms, plant medicines, entheogens, so on and so forth. 
Um, so this time, instead of doing that, um, that kind of community or learning exchange um, component, instead of doing that digital, uh, we, have, uh, we have obtained, we've locked down the Starline Social Club. Uh, so September the 18th and 19th, we'll have two full days of programming uh, where we talk everything about um, analytical testing to decolonization of plant medicine to plant medicine business to motherhood in plant medicine um, entheogens and creativity we've invited some of the most interesting and it, i'm clear clearly this is not a definitive list um, some people weren't able to make it some people you know are, are just too far some people have finances but uh, we've invited speakers from literally all over the world we have people from the uk coming uh, we have some of the most interesting people from right here in California, from Michigan, from everywhere coming um, to network, to exchange information, to learn, to normalize what um, plant medicine is. Of course, there has to be a little activism thrown in there on my behalf. And so that's basically what that is. Uh, it's just two days. It's a, it's a, we like to call things an unconference, just like we like to kind of disrupt as people like to look at mushrooms potent to most potent and they classify the, the most potent as the most important and the least potent and the least important. Uh, we're trying to change that. We're also trying just to change the way that these kind of plant medicine spaces look. So uh, when Tomas and Ian told you that we met at the Decriminalized Nature meeting, um, first of all, shout out to Decriminalized Nature. They are integral in my growth in this plant medicine space, clearly as my team is made up from people I met at their events. But uh, just like they said that we met at that event, Typically, when you go to psychedelic or, or plant medicine events here, at least in California, they're kind of monochromatic and it's getting a little different, but still kind of monochromatic and almost like kind of like majority gender. You have majority white men and that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we're trying to do is bring more people into the fold. We're trying to normalize plant medicines for a wider range of people. And that means putting people in front of the community that represent the community. And so that's another thing that we're, we're doing here, um, where we're drawing very heavily from Oakland. We're drawing very heavily from California. Uh, we're making sure that, you know, women are represented, that people of color are represented, that LGBTQ is represented, so that everybody kind of has, feels comfortable in this community space that we're trying to make. And lastly, the inspiration for this, shout out to Baba Kalindi and shout out to Mama Ayana. The inspiration for this is the Detroit Psychedelic Conference. It took place last August. Tomas and I went to that and I walked into that conference and looked around and for the first time in, in my existence, I had not seen a room full. I, I was not a, a, one of a few pepperings of black people in the room. Like it was diverse, you know, and I appreciated that. And it really, you know, it connected me with people around the country. People took me under their wing. I took people under my wing and we, we, we networked from there. And so what I'm hoping is that what comes out of this conference really pushes the culture forward in terms of community, in terms of good information, uh, and really kind of puts Oakland on the map in terms of a mecca for mushrooms. And there's something special about having that in-person component. Another activist actually from Detroit, Antonio Cosme, introduced me to the word collective effervescence. There's something about being around people who think like you, who are interested, and there's like this palpable energy that happens human beings get together. I don't know if it's the magnetic fields around our bodies or what's going on, but I appreciate virtual conferences, but I love that there's an in-person component here. To anyone, if you're in Oakland, you should try to be there because there will be that magic in the air. And Tomas, I know there'll be tons and tons of speakers there. 
Is there anyone who stands out in particular that you're really excited to hear? Well, Reggie already knows this about me. There's this guy, Mike Crow, uh, Mushroom Mike. Uh, have we locked him in, Reggie? That's Yeah, he's locked in. He's locked in. Woo! Man. So as a cultivator myself, uh, and I, I know I speak for many of us when I say this, we watch a lot of YouTube videos. We go on Reddit. We read the books like we we're talking about Mandrake's book, the Bible. I mean, there's many ways to get information. Mushroom Mike's videos were on repeat, 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 <laughs> repeat. Like, man, I'm top. not only Mushroom Mike, we got Willie Michael coming through. He's big time, man. You know, this is these are the people that many of us cultivators out there looked up to. And we're just like, damn, how cool is it that somebody's out here teaching us? And uh, to know that they're able to come to our conference that Reggie and I, a year ago, I mean, we're in Detroit and we met some people from Oakland and it was crazy to like meet people from all over the country in Detroit and then say, you know what, we're going to do this in Oakland. And here we are a year later, it's happening. And then the people that we were like, oh, I can't wait to meet. They're coming to our event. So yeah, I'm geeked. I'm excited to see Darren LeBaron from the UK. I'm excited to see uh, Willie Michael. I'm excited to see Mike Crow. I mean, Everybody there's going to be a revolutionary speaker. Let's keep it real. This is a one-of-one one event, and this is going to be the first of many, but like this event, this is it. Talk about master manifesting, seeing those people, you hold the space, you bring them in. That's absolutely incredible. And then kind of a question here too, we're talking about like the activism component. And I know from speaking with Reggie before this conversation around psilocybin gets into so many different aspects of kind of changing culture for the better. Ian, why do you think testing is such a potent partner to some of those other issues that you guys hope to address through this? I think the thing that um, brings people together most is the desire to know something. Hmm. I think that's the thing that drives us to, you know, work together towards accomplishing a goal. It's what got us to the moon. I mean, I really feel it's just, just inquisitive nature. Um, as one of my favorite citizen scientists, William Padilla Brown says, human body is literally a biological scientist by nature. Like we are designed to fuck around and find out. And because of that, I think that there is some great value in recognizing this shared inquisitive part of who we are. Like, if you have a question and you want to be able to answer it and you don't know how to answer it, you should be able to reach out and ask somebody, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, how to be able to answer that question. Talking about Willie Myco, talking about all of these different micro, all of these Darren LeBaron, all of these different people in this space that are. Definite. I mean, hell, I could talk about the, the McKenna brothers for hours on end. Like, there are so many people we stand on the shoulders of giants on, and communities have been built off of just possessing the same book as somebody. So, people that are competing in this space, I don't think the word competing is the right word. I think it's better to be seen as showing up for their community because honestly, like, this is the thing is like having a known tryptamine content in your, in your product as a consumer it helps me to know how to dose myself. It helps me to know, and that's harm reduction. That, so I think that there is some level, there's a reason why you know, potency testing is mandated for cannabis. It's to present a, a space of harm reduction. 
And I think it's a space of protecting our community. Yes, there are great benefits for saying I scored in the top ranks of the, of the microdosing, you know, flight. You know, I'm in this space where it's like I have one of the better options for microdosing, maybe. But at the same time, recognizing that, okay, my stuff is good for recreational. My stuff is good for therapeutic. Like opening these doors up for the community and saying that it's not just about highest potency. It's about what you have, what you're doing as an individual is unique enough to find a home. And that's not just true of the mushrooms that you cultivate a relationship of, but the person that you are too. And I think that this provides a space for us to recognize and grow into that. Yeah, I saw testing as such a potent tool to ground the whole experience. Yeah, it gives people a fundamental baseline of connection over the science and the man, you just elucidated so many points beautifully right there. But Reggie, where can people get tickets to the conference to be part of the event? How can people get involved? Right now, um, the best way for people to get tickets to events, I have a link up in my bio. It's Oakland Hyphae. It's at Oakland underscore Hyphae at Oakland underscore Hyphae on Instagram. Uh, they can follow the, the link and it takes you to Eventbrite. If you don't want to do that, what you can do is just go to Eventbrite type in Oakland Psychedelic Conference and the tickets are right there, available for purchase. Um, they're selling quick. Uh, we have a handful left. Um, and keep in mind, we, we basically sold out and we haven't released a speaker list yet. <laughs> so nobody even knows what's happening. They just know that it's going to be happening. So I'm pretty sure the minute we start releasing some of these speakers and it's going to be a slow drip, first come, first serve. And when, when it's over, like we'll see y'all next year. So I hope to see everybody there. Absolutely. Like I said, if you're in Oak, I mean, no, no, put that out the window. If you're just get to the Oakland psychedelic conference, <laughs> it's going to be an incredible event. No, we're not going to put boundaries around it. Yeah. Um, another longer range question. And you guys can answer this as mushrooms go mainstream. We know a lot of bigger companies are going to get involved. Reggie, you talked about that last time, how money coming into a space can change a space. How do you think Oakland hyphy or hyphy labs grows in that space? And do you think you can help to guide things there? So I'm going I'm to take this one. Uh, this is the one non-science, but business and, and politics. And this is my bag. So I have very strong feelings about this. And they've only gotten more strong since the last time that we spoke. We're seeing more and more money coming in. And generally, when, when, when I see large amounts of money coming in, people who have no attachment to the community whatsoever, there's generally um, the attitude change. The love is gone. The cutthroat business sort of is, is there. The stabbing in the back and the stealing exists. At Oakland Hype, we and Hype Labs, we've seen a lot of it, which is why we've now tightened up. You know, NDAs all the way around. It's very, you know, we 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 look to build uh, deep relationships with the people that we're doing testing with, as opposed to just taking every dollar that anybody puts down on the table. So there's, there's a betting process with us and our clients, but uh, it's a relationship. It's not just a transaction. Coming back to your original question, I've been working very closely with a lot of the activist groups. And every time I get on a platform, quite honestly, like this, and I've thought a lot about it. If we if we look and I know you don't like the comparison, but if we look at what happened in the cannabis industry, places like Colorado and other places put in barriers of entry to shut out mainstream people. So, for instance, in Colorado, it was something like you had to have 10 years of tax returns just to qualify to, to be able to to get a permit. You had to. <clears throat> You had to have this much money in the bank and you had to show you had this much money in the bank when uh, and re in reality, most people who was in Colorado cannabis, they weren't going to show that sort of money because it's they're, they're going to jail. So 
But the, those were called barriers of entry to prohibit the little guys and to prohibit the pioneers and to allow big money to come in. I look at that and say, okay, if you can do it and block the people from the ground up, then you can also do it and, and block the people from the top down. And so what I'm proposing, and, and this is, you're asking how Oakland Hypey and Hypey Labs ties into this, this is my gospel. What I'm proposing everywhere I go is that we can put barriers of entry uh, to stop big business and highly funded people coming in and taking away everything. So for instance, right now, there are several proposals about uh, decriminalizing uh, plant medicine here in, in Oakland, or here in California. You have the SB 519 that everybody's talking about, but there's another one that Decrim California put forth that's a new initiative. And uh, in that initiative that Decrim California has put out, uh, it's basically a giveaway to big business. You know, they outright, uh, they legalize or decriminalize mushrooms, but they don't put any protections in there to, to protect the cultivators who have quite frankly been the pioneers underground pushing the industry forward. What they do is they classify the psychedelic mushrooms or the magic mushrooms as a regular food mushroom, which would then open up the floodgates for anybody who currently has large scale mushroom production to just come and squash the people who are in here um, that have been taking the risk for all this time. And so what I propose, it, there's also different questionable stuff in there, like uh, the Decrim California logo has to be used. The Decrim California trademark has to be on every package of psilocybin uh, that's sold, which is questionable to me. But what I propose is writing language in that bans institutional money. So if money comes from Wall Street here in the United States, if money comes from Bay Street in Canada, if money comes from whatever the financial hub in London is, it's banned. You cannot come into the plant medicine industry. It's outlawed. As well as if you come in capitalized over a million dollars, it's banned. In my mind, this sort of, this sort of proposal uh, for legalization or decriminalization at any gate would allow small people pathways to come in establish themselves under a less hostile environment and grow so that they can compete and continue to reap the fruits of the risk that they were taking, you know, because that's that's what it is without without the people who are out here cultivating in their closet. We would not be here talking about decriminalization. Um, and so that's what Oakland Hyphae is about, because we have testing, testing funds our activism. Testing allows us to not have to be uh, pigeonholed to any of these because there's a lot of well-funded people. And, you know, quite frankly, a lot of them are well-intended, but when people come with that money, there's expectations that come along with that money. I don't care what you say. And so these people can be the best people in the world, but when they come to you and say, hey, I got $50,000 for your organization, I'm certain that that's gonna make a person think twice if they, if they propose bills that are problematic for the people because it's gonna mess up their individual money. Oakland Hyphae stands as a 100% independent funded. We, we, we fund ourselves from the testing uh, and we have a few subscription spots left. So if you, wanna, if you wanna sign up for testing, just go to Oakland Hyphae 510 on the internet or DM Oakland uh, underscore Hyphae and we'll get right back to you. Tomas will get back to you in terms of signing up for testing. Uh, but we support ourselves from the tests that we provide and we support ourselves from the events that we do. We're 100% independent. This is a mom and pop bootstrap organization. And so us as ourselves operating in science kind of been the paradigm. You know, not only do you see, uh, and there's women, there's several women in our team that you don't see here represented, but not only do you see one of the most diverse science-based uh, collectives out here, but we really are self-funded. So buy a ticket that helps us stay independent. That helps us look out for you. Um, and that's my piece. And that's why you're one of the only people I've ever had on twice. 
And part of this is because I believe so strongly that there's a unique opportunity here. You know, one of the great tragedies of the cannabis industry was the people that started that industry in California and Colorado were then shut out. And everyone knows that was horrible. So we have a chance here by empowering a group like Hyphy Labs, because we have we have a chance to change that direction when it comes to psilocybin mushrooms. And that's exactly what I had a feeling you would say, is that as you guys grow and expand, you're going to use your voice and really your reach, and I guess for lack of a better word, your power, to shift some of these conversations, to shine the spotlight on the bills and the legislative efforts, things that are really in the best interest of people who are resonating with this message of kind of a more open and, I don't know, less corrupt less institutional plant medicine space by powering up Oakland hyphae as they grow, you're giving us an ally on the inside. And it's rare really that we have a front runner who's this well-established, who's doing this much kind of real tangible scientific work who can stand apart and make these kind of moves for everyone. You know, it's like you guys are our avatar in the space, helping us try to keep it clean as best we can. So yeah, I really encourage people go to the events. You know, it sounds like Tomas is the person who will respond if you reach out about testing, but just support Oakland Hyphy and Hyphy Labs. I don't know what that is, messages, whatever. I, I just think this is something really important and we have a unique opportunity. Um, well, I guess, guys, to wrap things up, I like to ask a bunch of questions to my guests, but we got three of you, so I'm not going to do the 20 minute, all these different questions. So we're going to do rapid fire and it can be any species, psilocybe if you want, throw anything at us, but a mushroom or fungus that you love and why. And I guess Reggie, kick us off. I'm going with cordyceps because the, I mean, the, the, when I, as I study cordyceps, it's just fascinating. It's just fascinating. The fact that like they basically make zombies of their hopes, like it's, it's, fascinating to me so i i and and as is a consumer of cordyceps i love making stacks with a little magic and a little cordyceps it's like coffee in the morning that's one of the futures right it's combining functional mushrooms with psilocybin containing mushrooms and i guess ian how about yourself um i'm a huge fan of uh symbiotic organisms specifically a big fan of lichen and there's a specific species of lichen that exists in South America. It's, I believe if I recall correctly, called Dictonema, D-I-C-T-Y-O-N-E-M-A. It's a symbiotic relationship between a fungus and a, a specific kind of algae. It's actually a prokaryotic algae, which is very, very unique. And it's a very, very unique combination of organisms and actually is psychedelic and entheogenic as well. You can check it out on my blog if you're interested in uh, understanding indigenous. Whoa. Okay. That's that's insane. Uh, and Tomas, how about you, man? A mushroom or fungus that you love and why? I got two. I had this one experience, man, that it'll never leave my mind. Me and my sister once uh, got a me oh, I got a message from a, a former colleague, and, and they sent me a picture of, of an Amanita muscaria in Berkeley. And so I went out and I literally found the street and I was like, at like 10 o'clock at night going through someone's yard and I found the, the mushroom. It was like this big. It was like two of them. It's just the most beautiful. It looked like straight out of Mario, this red with the white dots on it. And I was like, damn, I really found this thing. But uh, if I'm keeping it real, it's the Maz uh, Psilocybin Cubensis. Me and that, that mushroom have developed quite the relationship. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my homeboy right there. 
but I, I'll never forget the moment with that one Amanita Pascaria. So, uh, yeah, the cubes, man, the magic, we're, we're good. Those are two of the most potent mushrooms in kind of everyone's subconscious around the world. So great choices, man. Reggie, Ian, Tomas, thank you so much for joining us on the Mushroom Hour, giving us your time, giving us your answers, being so open about this whole thing. I really appreciate it, and I'm excited for the conference. Thank you, Dan. It's an honor. Um, I'll circle back, but thank you, thank you, thank you for having us. We, we really appreciate your support. Thank you. Yeah, man, this was super cool. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you. Woo, 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 woo. Be safe, stay healthy. 